Father, we come to you asking for your knowledge, your understanding, and your wisdom. As we read your word, we get the information, the designer's book, the manual. But Lord, we also pray for understanding how we can grab hold of the concepts which are here, and then wisdom in order to use those concepts, not only for your benefit in the kingdom, but also for ours. For if we seek the good of your kingdom and for you, we benefit as a byproduct. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us to draw near to you in our understanding. But Father, also help us to, in this Christmas season, be a witness to those who are perishing, who need the gospel. We thank you for the opportunities that you provide for us to instruct others, but help us again with the information, the understanding, and the wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week I gave you five points of seven different points inside the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, and I started out last week, and I'm just going to do a little review here. I started out last week, there are four types of people in the church, and we're supposed to examine ourselves to see if, in fact, we are in the faith according to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. God wants us to hold up the scriptures as a mirror, and you should be able to say, I should be able to say, that's me, that's me, I'm not doing that, I need to bone up on that and make sure that I'm following what the Lord has to say. And those four people, types of people in the church are those who are satisfied and sold out, they're seeking to be sold out, they're active in their faith, they're attending Bible study, they're reading the word, they're listening to the Bible on cassette, well, cassette on a track, you know, something like that. They, they are involved. They are setting forth and determined to make sure that God is glorified in their lives. And no one's perfect in this, not even Paul. But then there are those who are satisfied and not sold out. They're just complacent. They're kind of lukewarm, like in the um, book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea. They were just content kind of like the frog in the kettle. You guys know that analogy, right? You put a frog in the kettle with just warm water and he'll sit there and you can turn up the heat and he'll boil to death. But if you put a frog in hot water, immediately jumps out. And so we can be like that frog in the lukewarm water that's on the stove. And we don't want to be like that. Then there are those who are seeking that are unsure. Well, I'm really not sure if this is true and accurate, if it is prophetic. And then there are those who are suffering under obligation. Like, I have to be there. Oh, yeah, it's church, you know. The Lord wants me. It's the right thing to do. Blah, 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 blah. Humbug. It's Christmas. You know, they have that kind of attitude. We are all of one of these four. Maybe you're all four in any given day. But we're striving to be just the one, the first one, the satisfied and sold out. And I gave you these seven, seven different things that are outlined in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. The separated ones, the apostles, they are sent, they're supernaturally sustained, their suffering or suffering will ensue, will always be under submission or submission, they will always be under suspicion by governing authorities or those in authority. And we are not to shrink back or be afraid and we are to sacrifice everything to follow Christ. This is what is for the person who is satisfied and sold out. They understand the roadmap. If, I think most of us understand what Google Maps is and what Waze is. 
and you type that into your phone, you go, I know exactly where I'm going. Sometimes it leads you where you're not supposed to go. Uh, Alan, remember New Jersey? We were looking for a church one Sunday morning, and we ended up at a house, but the address was between the two houses, and it's like, where are we? We had no idea. But for the most part, the Google Maps will get you where you need to go. Well, the Bible gets us to where we need to go, and so we have to focus on that. The person who is sold out and is satisfied, they're seeking the Lord, they have the roadmap, and so we, we look at ourselves and say, Am I experiencing these seven things in chapter 10? So the separated ones, of course, I gave you the names of the 12 apostles, and they were sent out, and they were told to do two things. Do you guys remember what those two things are? Preach and to heal. After those two things, there comes one more thing. It's not listed here, but it's what we're supposed to be involved in. That's becoming the disciple, teaching Teaching and learning. I, I always seek to learn from someone else, and I always seek to disciple someone else. And that's how all of us should be. If we're doing that, we're certainly carrying out the Lord's will. And all of us are sent, not just the apostles. It's the Great Commission and also Romans chapter 10. How will they know unless somebody is sent? So we are supposed to go talk to them. Kind of like tonight. We're going to go and have this wonderful meal and this gift exchange and laugh quite a bit and and just talk and get to know each other and the lord wants us to make friendships with those who are not saved now if you've been saved for a while and you make a friend with somebody who isn't saved do you kind of go palm in the head don't do that you know the the behavior that they may be involved in or things they might say you you cringe a little bit and then you go up and give them a hug and you're good you know we're we're buddies that type of thing or the the ladies don't do it like that they do that like that and they they give the hug you know and and they make these relationships and that's what god wants us to do god doesn't want us just to make relationships with ourselves Remember, if we do that, we become ingrown and we fester and we become infected and that's not good. We're supposed to be reaching out. And we can't expect people who are not saved to act like those who are saved. It's hard enough to get the people who are saved to act like they're supposed to. But especially the people who are unsaved, they don't know. They haven't been taught. It's like the little child that the mom is trying to control that just goes berserk. And... What is she supposed to do? There's one story Rabbi Zacharias told. If you're familiar with him and his ministry, he was on a plane. And it was a long plane flight. And there was a woman that was behind him. I think the next seat behind him or one seat back behind that. And she had this infant that would not stop crying. Not just crying, but wailing on the flight. And everybody, you know, in front of him, they would turn around and they'd give those looks like silence your kid you know something like that but you can't silence a little infant what are you going to do put your hand over their mouth and you know and oh good they passed out now they'll be quiet that uh, you can't do that and even Ravi said he was getting you know a little uptight and finally he he said he just had to turn around and he looked back at the mom and tears are coming down the mom's face and he had a whole nother perspective for the mom. You know, everybody was just glaring at her. The child was not acting the way the child was supposed to act. But yet he had grace.
for that woman and that child. And he just endured the screaming and the crying. And it was okay. And that's kind of like those who are not believers. We endure them sometimes. But we're supposed to love them just as Christ loved us. Because we do the same thing to God. We scream and we cry. And I can imagine, all right already, you know, he answers our prayers just because he's tired of listening to us, that type of thing. But we are to be involved in going out and being sent to those who are out there. And then we'll be sustained supernaturally. God will provide everything that we need according to his riches and glories. He doesn't provide everything we want. Now, sometimes he does, and it's wonderful that he does. And when we go out and we are supernaturally sustained, we are going to run into opposition. And remember, the Jews were, or the, the apostles were told, if you go to any town, shake off the dust off your feet if they reject the, the message and that worthiness of somebody when they go to their house, if the house is worthy or the guests are worthy, then let your peace remain in that place. And if it's not, let it come back to you. The receptivity of the hearer is what makes the house or the person worthy. Remember, we're not supposed to, and this is a very brazen statement, we're not supposed to cast our pearls before swine. What that means is, and of course that's metaphoric language, we are supposed to give the gospel, and if somebody doesn't want to listen to the gospel we retract the information. We say, okay, if you don't want to hear it, you don't want to hear it. And that's going to be most people. But we're supposed to be engaged in doing this. And as a result of this, suffering will ensue. So there will be people who will seek to persecute those who are believers who are giving the message of the gospel. They will, cha- they will make an attempt to change the information that is being disseminated they will make claims that the Bible is not true. That, you know, there's, there's a test when we get back um, for the men. <clears throat> My granddaughter, she brought me this uh, website. She goes, Papa, I want you to go to this website. I want you to take the test. And I said, oh, okay, what is it? And it's a test for her Bible class that she has in high school. And so I went there, and she goes, just, just take the test. And so you have to answer all of these questions. I don't know, there's 20 or 25 questions. And then it will tell you if you have a 100% worldview or if you're more of a humanist or if you're more of a New Age type of person, you're spiritual but not religious, that type of thing. And there's like four or five different worldviews. And she wanted me to take it. She wanted to know how Christian I was or, or how much a worldview that I had. And so I went through it and I got all done. And lo and behold, I am 100% Christian in my worldview. And she just goes, oh, 100%. And I said, yeah, 100%. What are you? She goes, well, I only got like 87. I said, well, we have some work to do, don't we? <laughs> and so... And there's things that come in that we are really not discerning or unfamiliar with. And, and there is the world that wants to change our worldview. For instance, on morality, if we hold a particular view on sexuality, we are called those who hate rather than those who stand for truth. And we can only win the argument if we stand on truth. If somebody wants to reason through what truth is, that is wonderful. If they don't, that's when you pull back and you say, okay, you know, hey, 
I'm not going to argue because, you know, the servant of the Lord is not to strive, not to be contentious, not to get into foolish and stupid arguments. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 talks about that. If somebody wants to come up and argue about alien life in the Bible and they're convinced that that's absolutely the case, well, there's a lot of aliens in the Bible. Angels are aliens to us, right? And demons, they're aliens to us. As one of them showed up, what do we do? Do we die? Do we say, praise the Lord? What do we do? They are aliens to us, but they will say, oh, they're spaceships and that's who God was in the past and... That's foolish and stupid arguments. We need to just avoid that stuff. Say, you know, let's focus on what is edifying for the body of Christ. So outside the church and inside the church, there will be those who will try to convince us you need to believe in this. My response, and you should adopt this response as well, I was taught this by others, is where exactly is that in Scripture? And if they are able to point to Scripture, say, well, you know, that is interesting. And if they have a scripture that they can point to and they misinterpret it, well, we want to find out how we interpret scripture. If we're doing that properly, we will be on the right road. We will not suffer quite as much because we will have truth on our side. Now, going on here, I am going to read in verse 15 of chapter 10. This is... After the word is rejected, I I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, I explained this last week. But when we go out, we are... The scripture talks about those of this world are wiser in the ways of the world than we are. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm using my uh, powers of interpretation to uh, give my own spin on that. But it's this idea that the way that the world works, what is taking place, the world person, the person who is in the world is more wise in those ways. Like how to win friends and influence enemies, that type of thing. The world is probably a little more savvy on how to do that. That's one of the things of the world. But the wisdom of the world is considered foolishness to God. We have the power of God within us, the Holy Spirit of God. He dwells in us and he can give us the strength and the power and the knowledge to carry out whatever he wants us to do. And he can protect us at any time, even if we are out there like sheep among wolves. Now remember... It's mutton stew if you go out there and you go out there improperly. If you go out there being a sheep in the flock of God, you are susceptible to being destroyed physically, but also your faith can be shipwrecked, that type of thing. And that's why we need to maintain fellowship. But he says in verse 17, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Now remember, this was the religious authority that was set up to be against those who were believers in Jesus Christ. And we have this, we've always had this in the church. You know, about the 3rd, 4th century, the teachings of Augustine came into the church and he was very influential. And if you didn't hold to what he was teaching inside the church, you could be killed. Martin Luther, they tried to take his life. Uh, Tyndale, you know, these guys, they ended up becoming martyrs because they would 
um, translate the Bible into different languages, and if it was not authorized, like the King James Version being authorized, the authorized King James Version, you were not allowed to mess with the Scriptures or give your own interpretation, and the Scriptures were withheld. And so if you started quoting Scriptures or claim to be an authority or speak that the Bible has the authority and you quote it, if you were a nobody, you better watch out because you might be killed. There's all kinds of stories throughout history of this infighting, you know, George Whitfield and Charles Wesley and John Wesley, they would butt heads and there was Methodism and Wesleyism that was a result of that, but they were still good friends. And George uh, Whitefield, Whitfield, he was more gracious and he, he just kind of relinquished everything to John Wesley. And there was fighting back and forth between those guys and you hear about them being just wonderful people of faith and, you know, coming through the ranks of church history. All of them fought. All of them had some type of alternative views and they argued over this stuff. And that's why we have so many denominations today. And we might say, well, why don't we have just one? You know, I just worship Jesus Christ. And kind of like in First Corinthians, why well, follow Paul? Why well, follow Cephas? Why well, I follow Apollos? Well, I'm better because I follow Jesus. And you got this infighting going on, and we have the different churches. Do you baptize all the way? Or do you pour some over the forehead? Or do you just sprinkle a little bit? How do you baptize? And does a communion actually turn into the body and blood of Christ, but it just looks like? bread is that what happens or is it just symbolic and so we fight about these things so the authorities both outside the church and inside the church will oppose you if you go out and you're living for christ you're just going to get it from all sides it's okay i saw i saw one little you guys know what a meme is if you don't know what a meme is it's a it's a little picture a, a little um caption in there and they use it for different things and there's this one meme i i've seen it this guy's standing there out in front i don't know what it's from it looks like maybe and i've never watched game of thrones i i don't know what it is i think it's from maybe a program like that where a guy stands up and he gets a thousand arrows in him just and he's just covered with arrows expect that if you go out and you start doing the will of the lord but it's okay because you got eternal life. You just pull them out and say, oh, flesh wound. And you just keep on going the way the Lord wants you to go. And so when that opposition comes, we know where we're going. We have this roadmap. We see clearly what Jesus Christ told us was going to happen. Now going on, and by the way, we will have this opposition, as I said, outside the church, inside the church, but also Satan himself. He will get involved in that and try to trip us up. Now going on in verse 18 will always be under suspicion by the governing authorities. I just want to continue with that. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. In other words, when we are brought up before somebody who is in opposition to us, if it's a governing authority or somebody in authority, that's a chance for us to witness. That's why God puts us there. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, this is wonderful if you've ever experienced this, where you will be talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of works in you. Not that he takes you over and you have no control. I believe that's a false doctrine that's out there. The spirit of the 
prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. It states that in 1 Corinthians. And so if you are yielded to the Lord, it's almost as if he is speaking through you. And you kind of take this backseat if you've never experienced that. It doesn't happen all the time, but you can just tell there are some people the Lord wants to reach. And he will be using you if you open your mouth. And if you open your mouth and you have done the preparation study to show yourself approved, you will just be amazed. You'll walk away and go, who was that talking? You know, it will just surprise you what the Lord does. He uses us as vessels if we are submitted to that. And it it gives us a, a sense of more faith. It builds our faith when that happens. But you can't experience that unless you are willing to put yourself on the front line to actually go and talk to somebody. But when you do and you experience that, you walk away just going, wow, Lord, that was so awesome. And, and you, you get these chills. You know, you go, oh, that was so good. And, and it's almost like, I want to do it again. And you go out the next time and you're in the flesh and it, oh, that didn't work so well. And you beat yourself up, you know. But it's just when the Lord wants it to happen, it is such a blessed event. And you know what will happen usually when you're doing that? Somebody will come along to be a distraction. There will be some little kid that comes up, hey, mister. You know, and you're, ta- you're talking and you're trying to explain everything that's going on or some other person. Or there, there will be somebody yelling down the street and you go, oh. and that's why the other person that's with you needs to be praying. And so that, that's how we do it. That's how we go out and we're being those witness. Now, in verse 20, what did I leave off with here? 21? Okay, 21. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. What end is he talking about? The end when you die. Now, the apostles, it is believed, maybe all of them except for the apostle John, they were martyred for their faith. They died. Some people would say... Why did they go and do that? Because they knew they had an everlasting inheritance that would not fade or would not spoil. And so he says, be prepared because you follow Christ or I follow Christ, the world will hate us. And he says, if you have the chance to flee to another place to get rid of the persecution that is upon your shoulders, just go ahead and do that. He goes on to say, I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. (coughs) Now, Somebody, they, they get confused about what this actually means. Does it mean that all the apostles and the disciples that are with them, will they go through all the towns before Jesus comes back? Well, Scripture tells us that the word will go into the entire world. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. And so there may be some foreshadowing with that coming on. For the things that seem unclear, we just stick with what we know. There's so much debate about that particular verse. It's like, just stick with what we know. When the Lord comes back, the gospel will go out to the entire world. Now, it's making inroads. It it definitely, in the 1040 window, people are going in there and they're losing their lives, but they're still going in there, especially in India. They train the pastors over there that when we send you out, you could die. 
actually going to the northern reaches of the northeastern side of India where it's really a difficult place for the gospel to go in there. Or in China, you could be persecuted, you could be thrown into prison, and they're a tremendous violator of human rights. And that's not so much in the news, especially Christians. There are more Christians dying and in prison now than there ever have been in the history of the world. And it's mostly due to the Hindus and the Muslims who are out there and the governing authorities and so on. But we are still supposed to go out. We're still supposed to do this. We will be opposed. And if we can flee, we're supposed to flee and go somewhere else. And will this gospel go everywhere before Jesus Christ comes back? Yes, it will. And once everybody that the Lord determines should hear the gospel has heard it, guess what happens then? The rapture. We, we are out of here. Remember, there's the last person. The last person to hear and receive the gospel. I don't know who that person is. If you're in here, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and we don't have a party tonight. We have one in heaven, right? That would be the way to go. And so the Lord has a finite number. As we get into the rest of the scriptures here, he, he will tell us that the very hairs on our head are numbered. Mine are rapidly depleting every day. You might have a little more. Maybe you're growing some more, and that's okay. But this idea, the Lord knows exactly who that last person is. And when we get to heaven, I'm going to go up there and go, you, you were waiting. No, I'm not going to do that. But anyhow, there is a last person. Now, going on, verse 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. And the reason he's saying this is because if Jesus is persecuted, if Jesus runs into difficulty, so are we as his students. We are subject to the same things. It is not, excuse me, is it enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master? If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? And this is the same type of thing that they will call good, evil, and evil, good. So the good that you go out to do, they will say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Uh, In California, I think that they passed this law that it is wrong to try to help somebody come out of the homosexual lifestyle, that you can be prosecuted for that if you tell them it's wrong the government, wrong, and I don't mean, it's wrong what you're doing. No, say, no, Scripture says that we ought not to live like this because 1 Corinthians 6 9 says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's how we would explain it to them. And if we try to do that and evangelize them, we could be brought up on charges, fined, thrown in jail. I don't know the exact penalties of that. But right now, you know, if you go out witnessing, uh, I know, Megan, you told me about some of those things. You go out witnessing, and sometimes the police have to be right there. Phantom told me about that. <clears throat> where he, he, They're preaching out there, and if the police weren't right there with them, that there probably would have been some fisticuffs going on and some protection. And that's just the Christians going after the unbelievers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's the other way. The unbelievers going after the Christians. They They would like to stop them from preaching. They don't want to hear the word. Now going on, number six here. Do not shrink back or be afraid. Now I'm going to point out something. In these next few scriptures here towards the end of the the section of the end of this chapter, one of the rules of interpretation is 
you want to pay attention to a repetition of words or phrases. And I want you to look with me. Now, this is in the NIV. The word afraid is in verse 26. So do not be afraid. Verse 28, do not be afraid. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both, body, or both soul and body in hell. Verse 31, so don't be afraid. Four times, he says, don't be afraid. What does he want you to do? Don't be afraid. Why would you be afraid? Because there might be things happen that might make you afraid. But don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. It's like, oh, he's telling me ahead of time. It's like you would tell, you know, Halloween in our society, it's really built up. You have to tell the younger kids coming into teenage, they want to go to this haunted house. You have to remind them, don't worry. Don't be afraid. It's not real. We have to tell them because they might be afraid. Now, hopefully you're not taking your kids or grandkids to these haunted houses where they have meat cleavers and they're chopping up people and that type of thing. But it's this idea, do not be afraid because there's going to be something happen that might cause you to be afraid. So don't be afraid. Not only that, but go to verse 32. Whoever, verse 33, whoever, if you go down to verse 39, whoever and whoever. Well, is there any other words that repeat here? Yes. Anyone, verse 37, twice it's listed in verse 37. Verse 38, and anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And anyone, verse 41, and anyone, second time in verse 41, and anyone, verse 42, whosoever or whoever and anyone. Who does that refer to? Everyone. Right. It's like, okay, this is available for anyone who is out there. And we'll get into the details of this, but you want to make sure you're looking at the repetition of words. He's trying to make a point. I've used this example before. When a child is doing something wrong, you tell them no once, right? Or at least you try to train them. I should only have to tell you once. How many times you tell them? Over and over. And don't, no, 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 no. And you get, and you want to make sure that they understand. And so you repeat. And that's what the Lord's doing with us. Because we have a tendency to be a little bit dense. But then, in verse 40 and 41, there is a word that is used six times. Do you see it there in the NIV? <coughs> Receives. Oh, so anyone... Don't be afraid. Anyone receives. Well, what is he trying to say there? And you have to get into the details to delineate and to make sure we understand what exactly is he saying. So sacrifice, excuse me, I need to back up here. Don't shrink back or be afraid. Verse 26 says, so do not be afraid of them. And by the way, this is in keeping with being called, being sent, being supernaturally sustained, Suffering will ensue. Governing authorities will oppose you. And do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. When somebody has done something wrong to you, for instance, I saw this little video. Have you seen these videos in foreign countries where somebody will be in a car and they try to get run over or injured by the car. I don't know if you've seen that because then they try to sue the individual for injuring them. 
They are out there on the internet. You can see them. And I saw this one where it was two people and they wanted to make this driver responsible and be able to sue them. And so this one guy was on this little moto, a moped, little cycle, and he was in front of the car, and so the car slows down. And he, was, he got out in front to try to get hit by the car. And so then he takes the moto, and he looks back, and he backs it up into the car and throws himself on the hood. The guy comes from around the corner and says, I saw you hit him. And it, you can tell what's going on in this picture. And this woman, you see this woman get out. She comes in view of the camera because they have these dash cams. Especially in Russia, I think they're all mandatory in Russia. So that this woman gets out, and she goes, "What? What are you? Get off my!" You could tell, you know, hands are flying like this, and she's talking to them, and and then she goes like that, and she points to the camera. Guess what the two people did? They were gone like you couldn't believe. And she was completely justified. She had the evidence there. That's what it's going to be like for us. When we get persecuted or people try to accuse us of wrongdoing, the Lord's going to go, hold on, review that video, uh, review that MP, whatever it is we're going to have at that point. He's going to replay the tape. And then the person is going to have egg on their face who persecuted us or the group of people. And the Lord is going to be able to judge righteously. And he will turn to you if you are persecuted. And he will say, well done, you outer darkness. The Lord will judge them. So everything that we experience as far as being a detriment to us in this life, don't wait. Or don't worry about waiting. We can wait and the Lord will repay you. And then you can say, but I'm going to pray for you because you need to be saved. You need to repent of that sin. And that's the, the heart that we need to have for them. But somebody who has done us wrong and they just continue to do us wrong, the Lord's going to replay the tape. And they will be judged for that. If they have done something that is sinful or unrighteous, as far as our behalf is concerned. He goes on to say, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. And that is the gospel, the teaching of Jesus Christ. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's telling them, if you lose your life, don't worry about it. Now, after going to Cambodia, Eric and I have been over there. Dustin's been over there. Uh, Megan's been over there. There's this place called Tolslang. And Tolslang is a, a, a compound where they used to torture the individuals and the killing fields that are over there. You guys know what uh, Mexican fan palms are? They're the tallest palm trees that are around San Diego. They just very, very tall. And on the 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 sheath of the leaf, or on the stem of the leaf that hangs out, it's a big fan. There are these teeth on it, and these teeth, boy, if they grab a hold of you, it's kind of like grabbing a hold of a rose thorn. You pull away real fast, and yow, it just like rips on there. Well, that's the same thing with these. And what I'm going to tell you is a little disturbing, but what they would do to the Cambodian people over there, and these were poor people who were given places of authority to kill those who were inside of these detention centers. 
they would take these palm fronds like that, and they wouldn't be quite the same type of species of palm, but they had these serrated edges on them. And they would cut their throat with them, is what they would do. And, and Jesus is telling us, even if it comes to something like that, or you see these uh, Christians that are being burned in cages by the Muslim radicals, or they're being put in a, a cage and dropped in the ocean or in a bay. Uh, back a, a century or two ago in Japan, if you were a missionary in Japan, they would wrap you like in a wicker material. They would take you out into the water unless you recanted. They would put weights on you and drop you down into the water. And that's, that's not even the most horrific things that take place. There are many more, more horrific acts that have been perpetrated against Christians simply because they tell somebody about Christ. That's it. And the Lord says, don't worry about that. You know, I think that the Lord is gracious to us. For instance, when there's tremendous suffering, I don't know if you've experienced this when you've had a a, a tremendous bodily injury. The body goes into shock. And sometimes you don't register that you've been injured. Uh, Greg, who used to teach the youth over here, when he moved to California, he got carjacked and he got shot uh, when he got carjacked. And he says, you know, when you get shot, you don't know you've been shot. And he said the bullet entered somewhere in his chest and went down through his torso, and it was just a mess. And he goes, he didn't know he was shot until he got back in his truck and he drove away. And so your body can go into shock, and we fear what we fear the most is pain. We don't want to experience pain. We don't like pain. That's why people are dying of fentanyl, you know, and these Oxycontin and everything. They don't like pain. And as a result, they take too much and they die. And the Lord basically says, don't fear pain that might ensue as a result of your witness for Christ, even to the point of losing your life. Polycarp was burned at the stake to be burned alive. You know, it's like, it's over in just a few moments. But the excruciating pain. Who wants to experience that? Nobody wants to experience that. That is horrible. And the Lord will repay those who have done such dastardly deeds. But the Lord will also reward those who have endured for his sake. Now, is this a popular message with the world? Absolutely not. Somebody of the world would say, I'm out of here. Because they seek to save their own lives. They don't want the persecution. They don't want the pain. They do everything in their lives in order to make their lives nice and comfortable. The Lord says, don't worry about that. Count not your own life as something sacred. Count the life of Christ to be sacred. So he goes on. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And so the Lord can be gracious. He can help our bodies to go into shock if we are faced with that. And trust me, I don't think any of us necessarily are going to have to endure anything like that at all unless we go to some mission field in the 1040 window. This is not something that we have to be too concerned about, but we need to be praying for those who will suffer this type of persecution. And by the way, 
God is not taken off guard. Like, I was not expecting that. He knows exactly what is happening to each one of us. He is in charge of even the smallest details of life. And whatever he has prepared us for, that is what we will go through if we are submitted to him. If we are not, then the the game's over. We don't know what exactly will happen to us. But it is the protective care of God over us. Now, just to give you another little side note here. People like to get rid of the idea of God. If I told you, well, it's the protective care of nature over you. Nature is not a force. You know, nature, mother nature, you know, I know she did the butter commercials way back. It's not nice to fool mother nature. But for those of you who don't know what that was, it's butter as opposed to margarine. And mother nature got fooled by the margarine instead of the butter. And she says, it's not nice to fool mother nature. And that was a commercial. Anyhow, I digress. So this, this idea of let's get away from the concept of God and refer to everything out there as chance or nature or just the way things are. And I did a test, and I heard about this. So I went to Google, and I looked up the word providence. That is God's care over his creation. Then I went to DuckDuckGo, and I looked up providence. On the Google site, which Google is the spirit of Antichrist, you know, that's who they are. If you don't know that, just... Beware, they are the spirits of Antichrist. This is how they define God's providence, or providence. It says, it's a noun. The protective care of God, or of nature as a spiritual power. And there are those who worship the earth, and nature is our mother. You know, it's a, no, it's not. It's dirt, it's rock, it's silicon, it's water, it's all of those things. But the world wants to change it. Pretty soon it'll be, no God, it's nature's control over your life. And it's not. It's not nature's control. It's God's control. He is in control of all of this. And DuckDuckGo was just saying, you know, it's God in control. It's like, I like that. I like the way that they put it. They're not trying to change the narrative which is out there going on. And, And by the way, just another illustration of this. Who was the most persecuted man in the Bible that you can think of off the top of your head in the Old Testament with a three-letter name? Job, right. And what what did his wife tell him when he was experiencing all these things? Curse God and die. Oh, that's great counsel. Thank you, wife, you know. Well, it actually says, he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we not accept good from God and not trouble? In other words, God is in control of both the good and the trouble that comes our way because both are good for us. We don't like to hear that. But God's telling his apostles here, don't worry, don't be afraid. It's all going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. It goes on, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. In other words, if you shrink back at the time of persecution, God is not going to claim you as his. Now that goes into, is he really saved? Is he really not saved? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not. By the way, that's a Christmas theme, isn't it? That Jesus came to bring peace on earth, goodwill towards men. 
I think Linus quoted something about that. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Talk about discord in the, in the family. The Lord created the family. There is just going to be natural division as a result of the gospel going out, even within the households. He goes on to say, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Three worthy of me's that are there. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is kind of a paradox in the life of the Christian. In order to have life, you have to lose your life. If you try to explain that to the world, what, I have to die so I can live? Exactly. What? They just cannot comprehend that. And that's what Jesus did. He died to give us this life. And remember, this is all the outline of what we are supposed to do as believers as we go out into the world. Verse 40 says, he who receives, or he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And by the way, did you receive Jesus Christ? If you did, is he a prophet? You will receive a prophet's reward. There's rewards to this too. Not only do we not have to worry or be afraid, but we get rewarded. We, we get things because we follow his instruction. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciples, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. And so see, there's benefit at the end of all this. And the reward is eternal life, a body that will not die ever more. We will not have any more pain, no sorrow, no suffering. It's all going to be Disneyland on steroids, being with Jesus. I mean, that's the biggest thing I can think of. Is there something bigger than that, that, that bigger than Disneyland, you know? And what is there out there that we can look to in the world? Some concert, maybe? Some music festival? Oh, it was just the best. It's not even close to what heaven's going to be like. We are going to have a hootenanny up there like you just cannot imagine. And it's not going to just end right away. It's going to go on for eternity. So we are called. We are sent. God will care for us. He'll care for me. He'll care for you. We will suffer. We will be suspected of wrongdoing. But do not fear. And if we sell out for Christ, and that's the final injunction that we are given here, we give up everything to follow Christ. That's what it takes. If you can do that, you will be blessed, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It, it is so insightful. You have told us exactly what is required of us if we wish to be your disciples. We are so blessed that you love us so much that you have given us this information. But Lord, as your word says, those who ask for wisdom you will give it to that individual without finding fault. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom, how we can fulfill this outline 
this chapter 10, just like the apostles of old did. And may you be blessed because of it, the people we come in contact with, and also, Lord, may our joy be full as we seek to carry out your will. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.